So obviously I'm a geek. Talk to us about the AI that powers Food Llama. How do you know that this food product in itself is free from, contains the actual nutrients it says it contains, um, it's actually fit for you as a consumer? If you search for organic coffee on many retailers and you just indicated that you were vegan, it will take out a lot of options just because of the logic in terms of how the retailers understand the data. Hi, I'm Freya. Welcome to the Skynet Chronicles, Business in the AI Age, the podcast that dives deep into the world where artificial intelligence meets business. Join us as we explore the latest trends, challenges, and opportunities in this ever-evolving landscape. From innovative startups to established enterprises, we'll uncover the secrets behind the successful integration of AI technologies. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and get ready to unlock the mysteries of business in the AI age. Welcome, Dami, to the Skynet Chronicles. So to kick things off, could you share with our listeners what sparked your interest in addressing food intolerances and what led you to the entrepreneurial path? Thanks, Tim. Um, I wish I could claim ownership for the idea behind Food Llama, but it was my co-founder's personal experiences because it comes from a household with diverse food preferences. Uh, my co-founder is corn intolerant, not allergic, as a sibling who is gluten intolerant, mom's vegan, dad avoids palm oil. <laughs> so you've got this household with multiple preferences and deciding on food was always a challenge. It was either you stuck with what you were familiar with or when you tried to discover something new, it was a research spree. So my co-founder thought, what if there was an assistant that understood you, so had your avatar, your persona, and helped you figure out food wherever you shop for food? And that's the idea behind Food Llama. Fantastic. Food Llama is a brilliant name for an app. Oh, thanks. What does the app aim to achieve for individuals with food tolerances? And how did you go about choosing that unique name? Um, I'll, I'll answer the point on the name first before the, the solution. So the name is inspired by um, the word Lama, which is of Tibetan origin, which means guide, master, guru. Um, and then he also, I mean, you, you're familiar with like the Dalai Lama, um, but he also means, he also refers to the group of four animals that we are familiar with. Lama spelled as double L, um, alpacas, camelids, and guanachos, and that in itself, we thought, what if we could combine the characteristics of an animal that is very knowledgeable, very wise, with the guide attributes? Because that's what food, really, food Llama really wants to be, to guide people to finding the food that works for them. And back to how the app really works. While we're starting out with addressing intolerances, um, allergies, uh, and some lifestyle choices, it's really not necessarily about intolerances. We recognize that two in three individuals have some form of preferences when it comes to food, whether it be lifestyle choices, so vegetarian, vegan, or it be dietary concerns like allergies, intolerances, or medical concerns, or it be even sustainability concerns, things around packaging, how was the food sourced. Um, I mean, it's common for us to say people are fussy eaters these days, but we, that's what Food Lama really wants to be, to help people find the food that works for them. The way Food Lama works is you tell Food Lama what your own preferences are first, um, and then Food Lama also lends on your preferences based on your other habits. So your previous shopping habits, your continuous shopping history. It also picks up on things that uh, people like you are also exhibiting and helps you figure out the food that works for you. So when you, we've got 
two uh, mediums where you can where you can use Foodlama now. It works as a browser extension, but also as a mobile app now. So as a browser extension, you we sit on retailer sites. So when you go on your favorite retailer sites, you've got a body sitting on your shoulder, not helping you figure out what works. So when you're looking at a food or a basket that is not great for you, you've got Foodlama saying, "Hey Tim, that's not the best basket for you. There is a better basket for you. Do you want to consider this?" And helping just drive those s- small behavioral changes. That's that, that that for us is like what is significant. And as a mobile app, you also can use Foodlama in store. So when you're going in store shopping, you can scan products, you can scan your baskets, you can even initiate your shopping your again on your favorite retailers on the mobile app. But Foodlama works in such a way that whatever your preferences are, we know as much as possible about the consumer. But we also know as much as possible about the product or about the food itself, and we do the best matching possible. Excellent. So I definitely shouldn't give my wife the fact that I need to stop eating cake because <laughs> it'll make it, move that out of the basket every time. Well, we and that, that for us is very interesting. One of the things we are focused on is we try not to make the behavioral change too swift. So yes, maybe the first time we'll nudge out to say, hey, you said you wanted to avoid cake or you want to be conscious of your weight and you're adding these items to your basket. Do you want to try to swap out with something that is lower calories or, or something that is better for you? The first time, if you don't take that notch, we'll nudge you the second time. We're not very... We're, I mean, there are a few solutions out there that require very swift behavioral change and they're really good for short-term outcomes. But what we've also seen is that those outcomes... I mean, I won't mention particular diets... People often either return back to status quo or even worse off after they've committed to such plans. Ours is very very minimal commitment, but helping you find the best food and making allowing you make better informed food choices. Fantastic. So obviously I'm a geek. Talk to us about the AI that powers Food Llama. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's interesting. My my co-founder, I, I I'm on the business side of things, and my CTO, my co-founder. Uh, he is, is an AI ML expert before AI became like cool, yep. right? Uh, so if you speak to those kind of people, they're like, oh, AI, 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 AI has been around since forever. But what, the real challenge that we're solving at Food Llama is a data problem. There are tons of data sources when it comes to food, but provenance is a challenge. So how do you know that this food product in itself is free from, um, contains the actual nutrients it says it contains, um, it's actually fit for you as a consumer. Now, if you think about the way you can solve the problem as of today, retailers, if you think about groceries, retailers can provide you filters. Now, if you think about like a typical shopping experience, when you go on the retailer site, you've got filters you need to set up and you need to use that every other page, right? But that's not the bigger challenge. The bigger challenge is that retailers don't know as much about the product itself because their real concern is on supply chain efficiency, ensuring that when you order what you order, they can deliver to you. But the burden of figuring out what works for you is on you as the consumer, which is why the biggest thing retailers focus on is on search, so that when you search, they'll give you the results and you can decide what works for you. But search process is actually very broken. So a typical experience we usually would say is that if you search for organic coffee on many retailers and you just indicated that you were vegan, it will take out a lot of options just because of the logic in terms of how the retailers understand the data. And that's why Fulama is different. What we did was that we passed a, a couple of data sources, not just the data on the retailer when it comes to food, but there are also open source data so open source data sources that we also passed. And then we got domain experts to do some annotation. We did that and passed the data through a tokenizer. Um, I hope I'm using the right word. Um, and as 
if you ever see this, I hope I do you proud. Um, <laughs> but we'll pass that trade tokenizer because we don't have to strip words, right? So an example would be indicating that diced apple, squished apple, or squashed apple is the same as apple. Um, indicating that when you find certain complex words that I put in brackets, it's funny how those things are very important when you are doing uh, passing of data, like brackets, commas, and how it changes the entire context of data. We had to do that, and we had to actually build our own tokenizers to understand the entire context. And for words that we're not very familiar with, because after we've passed that down, we then did some natural language um, understanding of specific words. So an example would be, this product is also made in a factory that makes XYZ, right? We had to build context for that to understand that. Yeah. But in certain instances, we couldn't understand it as much as we could. So we then got, when words were very indicative, we got domain experts, so nutritionists, to do manual annotation. And we use like a mechanical talk system to resolve conflict. So if two people say, well, this, this, I mean, they score it on a scale of zero to five. So if one person gives a two, another person gives a three, we try to then see how to resolve the conflict. Maybe a final person gives like a minor, final annotation or we do like an average scoring system. But that in itself allowed us to then build like a single line analysis. For us, what we really focused on was making sure that the interpretation was very simple for the end user. And so when you use Foodlama today, you'll find a very simple analysis. But what goes on on the back, back end is some magic. Yes, yeah, some magic, <laughs> if that's the right word. And for us, we see that that, that um, um, application itself, or the way we've built it, can actually be applied in many other facets. So for us, while we try to focus on groceries, we really want to get into um, online food ordering, we want to get into restaurants, because it's still the same sequence. And if you have, have, have as much context, and, and the way we think about it is that ingredients in itself and the context of ingredients is quite finite, right? But the products or the food you can make out of ingredients is infinite, yeah. right? So for us, is understanding as much context about ingredients and um, um, ensuring that we build as much um, knowledge on that. The other thing that we do that we've not yet passed out in information is if you go on a retailer site today, you will see a product and you get 500 reviews, right? But those 500 reviews, it doesn't necessarily mean anything to you as a consumer because you might not relate to it. 500 of those people who have left the reviews. Maybe it was only 10 people that are relevant to you. So we also pass the reviews and try to build insights on that, intelligence on that to say, of the 500, how many of them are like Tim? And how many of those people that are like Tim actually share the same preferences as Tim? And therefore, I like the most relevant attributes on that product. And that also powers how we think about recommendation because Foodlama drives a lot of recommendation. Yeah. As that today, retailers use a lot more statistical stuff to drive recommendation people like you also bought this, or people who bought this also bought that. But if you think about that on a layer of preferences, when it comes to food, it's quite irrelevant most of the time. So most times, people will go to retailer sites and already have a preconceived idea of what they want to buy without referring or defaulting back to like retailer recommendations. We want to be the engine that you trust so much that when we say, team, try out this product, you really trust Food Lama because Food Lama has an understanding of your preferences and you trust Food Lama to help you find the best food for you. Fantastic. Netflix recommendation on acid. <laughs> that we, we say we are Netflix for food, Spotify for food. Yeah, awesome. So with numerous dietary apps available, what unique features does Food Lama bring to the table that specifically cater to individuals with food intolerances? Um, yeah, so we, we, like I earlier said, we are broader than food intolerances. Um, there are quite a few dietary apps on the market. Um, I won't mention any specific names. There are, I think I'll divide them to like three, three, three different baskets. There are, there are 
dietary apps that don't work with consumers. They try to, you know, I, I talked about retailers being not as smart on product information when it comes to food. Yeah. So there are a few apps that have tried to help retailers become smarter. So when you search, ensuring that when you say you want a gluten-free cereal, as simple as that query is, it's actually hard for retailers to actually give you that result, return the results. So there are a few apps that have focused on helping the product get better tagging and ensuring that the results that you get is actually better for you. Um, the challenge with that is that you still have to go through like the broken filters. We've seen, we see that like tons of time. Yeah. The thing is that every other page you're going into, you are setting up this filter system. When you go to like a new retailer, it's, it's, quite, it's quite cumbersome. But it's better than what retailers have at today, all right? Um, and so those, re those apps are helping retailers ensure that the search results are better. What we really want to focus on is not just search, but actually intuitive discovery, ensuring that we're not waiting for you to discover. We are saying that we know you enough, and when we recommend stuff, you really would like that. Uh, there really isn't anyone solving that on, when it comes to food on that spectrum. The second category would be consumer apps that help you um, figure out quite a few things. So like what, what Foodlama is doing. So when you scan products in store, helping you know what works. What we find is that for, for many of them, because of the disjoints between the point of discovery and the point of, of purchase, so when you go in store and you scan a product, um, they tell you an alternative, but you have to walk around the store and then find out where the alternative is. It's been very hard for them to actually monetize. There's a big one in Europe that has not of maybe about 35 million users, but the bigger challenge they've always had is they focus a lot more on helping you when you're in store and scanning, but monetization has always proven a challenge. What we've tried to figure out is why we have elements of that is how do we bring the part of purchase with the part of discovery? How do we, how do we make them collide yeah. so that monetization makes a lot more sense for us? That for us differentiates us. And there's a third category of dietary solutions where there are big players in the space in the U.S. There are multi-billion dollar businesses in the U.S. that focus on this. Um, what I find for many of them is that they're either very niche in terms of they go after specific clusters of people who are health conscious alone. Many of them will rely on things like continuous glucose monitoring, right? And ensuring that the big problem I, I and my team, we think we have with that is that they require significant behavioral change. So it's not uncommon that if you search any of these names and search review online about them, you'll find a lot of complaints about them. As a matter of fact, um, I was reading just, just a few weeks ago that in the UK, the NHS is actually in some conflict with some of these apps because they are allowing people to build negative relationship with food where every day you're trying to get to a particular score because of what the app tells you and therefore you treat food as something shouldn't be treated as. Um, that significant behavioral change that is required by many of these apps, I think it makes them very niche. It also makes them not as sustainable. And that for us was very clear from the beginning to say, we're not going down these two niche paths where we only focus to health buffs, right, or people who are obsessed about their health. We want to care to a wide variety of people who have different goals, whether it be health, whether it be budget, whether it be things like you want to even improve like your own performance, or you want to, um, you have ethical concerns or sustainability concerns. We want to appeal to a broad segment of people, and that for us makes us um, very differentiated. Superb, and that fully customized tokenizer to data tagging to recommendation engine means you can really apply your capabilities to any food requirements, be that at end products within a supermarket, or as you've said, ingredients for restaurants, so that you could help restaurants effectively categorize all of their products 
without needing to dive into 10 layers of specific data tagging, it's already accounted for in the process that you've built. So you've made something that is generic in its application, but initially tied to shopping baskets within supermarkets. That's correct. Fantastic. So data privacy. <laughs> what measures has Food Llama taken to ensure that personal data is protected? Yeah, very good question. Um, I'll try again as much as possible to do Anna's Proud, who's my <laughs> co-founder. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a great degree of anonymization that we do around data. Um, I don't know if I should say this. No, I won't say that. But w one of the things that in you increasingly get is because as a browser extension, we sit in the browser now, we have access to a lot of data points. But there's quite a bit, we're very clear in terms of like the amount of data that we use from, we use on, 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 from a consumer's point of view. We also clean them of how we anonymize it. In terms of our relationship, we do not ever use that data for any other marketing relationship, none whatsoever. What we try to do is that we try to build insights. So when we say team, we don't really know who team is. We just know this user with this preference mirrors these other behaviors and that drives recommendation. So there's a lot of ashing. Um, I hope that that's the right word. Yeah, that's the right word. A lot of ashing and a lot of um, anonymization that we do on um, on, on user data. And there's very limited uh, pie that we collect from users, very, very limited. Um, we do collect some, but the ones that, that we do collect is quite anonymized that at the point of processing, we also do not see as much. And at the point of um, input and output, we also do not know as much. But that allows us to build as a deep level of insights on, on a group of people, right? So if team, we do not know, has the same attributes as dummy, we do not know. What's, what's, what is the most common behavior across this group of people? And that drives recommendation. But we, we have no absolutely no concerns about privacy whatsoever. So it's anonymized back to a persona level effectively and you're comparing between different personas so that you can make the right recommendations to them. Fantastic. So what's been the most rewarding aspect of developing Food Llama? Hmm. I think it was just the first day that the product kind of worked. Um, yeah, we, we did a thing. Yeah, because you can have an idea, and just a bit of backstory. When we had the idea for Food Lama, we went to raise money from a few angel investors without a product. Yes, we had like a demo of the product, and the way we did the demo was like we went to well, we went to a particular retailer site, we manually downloaded like a section, and we showed what the product might look like if it works, and then we got to, went to raise money off of that. And so when you now start executing, you now see that, okay, at scale, this doesn't really work the way you thought about. But I have to credit like a lot of genius behind like the technology down to like my CTO because there were quite a few bottlenecks we faced. And so the first day I was like, this worked, right? Um, that for me was like very rewarding. Um, and, and people say that for entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs don't get high when people, other people are getting high. I, I think that that's very true because you've already gotten excited in your mind so that when in reality comes to, to, to pass, you're not as excited as everyone is like, ah, finally. So that point of seeing it work, um, I think that has a, that's one of the biggest eyes I've ever seen. Um, this, the other ones I would think about would be one consumer who sent an anonymous email to us. I mean, that email stuck in my head. Um, her name is Rhea. Um, uh, yeah. And the email went this way. It was I mean, for me, one of the proudest moments, email went this way. Um, I, she, she came up with a name. She said, I Flama Team. So she, she abbreviated like food, but I Flama Team. Absolutely love you guys. Thanks for building this. I have two kids who got allergies and I used to dread my weekly shop 
you guys have made it simple. Um, I have one request. I've got a husband who's got a kidney condition, right? Can you guys build a potassium flag so that when I'm shopping, I can easily know products that contain potassium and strike them out. Love you, love you, love you guys. And that, when I shared it with the team, I mean, it's that one feedback that it just changes everything because it means that even if it's for a few people, it means that there's something that is not just your co-founder who had the challenge, but there are a few people out there in the world who also have the same experience and you're solving a prick problem for them. Yeah, that journey from concept to, wow, it works, to that real actual evidence of it's magic and it is changing somebody's life is, is always breathtaking, yeah. isn't it? Fantastic. So how do you envision AI to continue revolutionizing um, management of food intolerances and food preferences? I don't know if AI on its own will revolutionize things. Um, I think just a step back, I think beyond intolerances and allergies, consumer preferences would increasingly get fragmented. Um, people are going to care about the most interesting of things, right? What is the color of the packaging? Yeah. Is, the color, is the color representative enough, right? People are going to care about so many diverse things. And what it means is that consumers are increasingly going to get fragmented. And the way you as a brand or the way you as a retailer think about consumers when they're buying or shopping on your, on your site is going to change. What AI would significantly do, and this is something that we're increasingly seeing, is that it would have enough, it, it would be able to build context per user but also on a mass scale, right? So it's that ability to do one user, but also do it at a large scale. That would be very important. I think that, again, the other thing about data being broken across the value chain, so from farm down to table, that challenge still exists. And I hope that increasingly AI can solve that challenge where you have provenance along the entire value chain. And I mean, I, I make this reference back to my experience a few years ago in China in a... In a restaurant called, um, well, it's not a restaurant, it's a shopping mall called Emma Fresh. And it was a live octopus, right? And you, it had a tag, a QR code. And you could scan the QR code and you could see the entire provenance around the journey, when it was born, where it has been to, the countries it went through to get to this particular location before it ends on your table and you could get the octopus killed live and then ends up on your table. Yeah, but... Each to the right. <laughs> yeah. But that experience in itself, um, I increasingly see that AI would allow opportunities to learn about the provenance of food because it's going to be important to people who care about what the food they are putting in their stomach and where it comes from and how it was processed. Fantastic. So how can people get involved and get access to Food Llama? Um, yeah, so to get access to Food Llama, it's a Food Llama, so as a Siri, afoodllama.com, and you can install the browser extension or you could download the mobile app. It's available on uh, Play and um, App Store. Fantastic. And is there any particular reason why people should do that now rather than delay? Well, if you, hmm, I think that, I think that's a very good question. If you, everyone, I, one, one thing I talked about when I, when we were raising funds, I went to say, why food? Beyond cats, food is probably the second most Google thing, right? Um, cats increasingly are just number one. I don't know why, but food is one of the most Google things. And Everyone has some connection with food and they care about food. But you find that people wish that they either ate food that represents their values more, but actually do less. And it's a big term in the industry now. It's called the say-eat gap, where people say, I want to eat things that have less impact on the planet. I want to eat vegan for a month. I want to go vegetarian for the next three weeks. 
um, but they do less of that. Their baskets are showing a different lifestyle. So if you've got that gap, and I know that, um, I think if I remember the stats, it's about 67% again of people who say they have these particular values and wish they showed it, but their baskets reveal otherwise, right? If you're one of those people, then you should try out Food Lama. Food Lama's goal is simply to help you close that SAID gap and not be very intrusive, just helping you figure out slowly what the things, the lifestyle that you need to adopt to actually eat what you see. Guiding nudges. Yeah. Fantastic. So what advice would you give to others looking to develop technology or solutions in any sector, people who are new and starting up? You've obviously had an amazing journey. How should people go about being innovative and being entrepreneurial? Uh, I, wish, I wish I had like, a, like an easy answer because my journey to entrepreneurship um, was accidental. So I, I, I wasn't one of those, oh, I knew I was looking to, no, it was accidental. It was pursuing a business opportunity back in Nigeria and so on saying, well, you might as well just apply as an entrepreneur yourself, start a business. And that's my journey to entrepreneurship. Um, I, I, if I were to re reflect on my journey so far, I would say that the first would be trying to figure out that there is a problem to be solved because there can be a perception of a problem, but it needs to be real. Yeah. And I, I make this joke, I don't think I've said it on, on the show so far, that um, when I started Food Lama with my co-founders, um, I was still in Nigeria then when Eve originally reached out to me on a co-founder matchmaking site. And when he reached out to me and told me about allergies, I'm an African child, right? We don't really talk about allergies in Africa, right? Because your parents put food on the table. If you don't like eat it, well, yeah. you are going to bed hungry. You eat everything or that's it. Yeah. So when he reached out to me, I was like, I get the problem because I, I used to work in food manufacturing. But is there a really big problem? So I asked for a week and then I went to research and did a lot of reading. I'm like, okay, there seems something significant here that we could solve for. So understanding that there is a problem and there is a there is a big market or big opportunity. Because in reality, when you start to execute, you discover that what you thought was the problem, what you thought was the solution, changes or morphs con continuously as you start to execute. But understanding that there is some indication of a problem and the big market um, keeps you grounded and keeps you focused. And my own thesis, I know that there are solo founders all around the world, but I would never do entrepreneurship alone. Um, I would say find people that have, shared passions either within your network that you've cultivated or just be as bold as my co-founder who found me on a co-founder matchmaking site um if a lot of people say it doesn't work but i found my two co-founders we've been going on three years now um on this co-founder matchmaking site so however you need to find people that can get you on this journey find them and then the third is something that i am increasingly also um executing on is Find money before you build, right? Sell before you build as much as you can. Um, find people that, even if they're not committing money, they are committing to off-taking your product before you actually build. Because my team, I think my, my team works now. I'm the sales guy. Uh, even though I'm CEO, but I'm the sales guy. I've got a technical person. I've got a product person, right? Um, we, before we try to build as much, I go find people that would likely buy yeah. before we try to build. And I think that that formula works a lot of time. Um, that find people that will likely buy before you build. I think those will be the three things. And yeah, it doesn't make entrepreneurship easier. On some days I wake up and wish who told me to be an entrepreneur. Um, but I, I said this um, to someone um, some time back that I think most entrepreneurs are some form of drug addicts, right? Because the only reason why you stay in the game is that you have these moments of highs, right? But there are so many moments of lows in between.
but the ability to stay grounded is going from every low to every low to the next eye and then to another low to another eye. Yeah, that's... But aligned to that vision of making something amazing and having it work for lots yeah. of people. Yeah. Fantastic. I think that finding people that fill for the gaps that you have, we've all got areas of expertise and focus. And in order to have an effective team, you've got to fill for that. So you need your product, you need your technology, you need people that handle the empathy better than potentially a CEO might. And it's just filling for those gaps so that you've got a high-performing team. Yeah. When you look across it, all of the needs are met. They're not going to be met in a single person. Everybody has their, their key focuses and the things that they don't want to do. And finding that balance in your team is critical. I think there are, there are people who argue that you can find those attributes in a single person. Um, there is a book I recommend, Superfounders, Ali Naib. Um, it makes this argument around analyzing quite a big, if, if you have the big performing ones. But I think what is consistent is that a couple of big companies start with co-founders, but it ends up being one person at the end of the day, right? And so maybe that one person lends the attributes or imbibes those attributes over time. Um, but I think there they are, they are some super solo founders in the world, but the odds are are closer to zero than any other thing. Yeah, it's hard enough making a successful company in the yeah. first place. Don't yeah. try and do it on your own. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fantastic. So final question. In what ways do you anticipate AI revolutionizing the industry that you're in and how is Food Llama poised to make the most of that? Good question. Um, I think AI is revolutionizing every industry. Food typically as well, is one of those industries that tends to move much slower than the others. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think even in, in terms of AI, it's not going to be any different. They're going to move just as slowly uh, as they've always moved compared to other industries. Uh, but what I eventually see is the concept of personalized nutrition being a bigger thing where food in itself will be built to your particular preferences. So it's not mass production because the big challenges are today is there's mass production of food and then they go market it, right? It's the same thing with fashion. Mass production of fashion, then go market it. Companies like Shine in, in fashion have shown that you can do small batch runs of personalized um, 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 fashion items and sell to people. I think that's increasingly going to be true about food. Whether there's, there's an advice of ours whose company does personalized gummies, um, whether it's personalized gummies, maybe that's the future, but increasingly personalized nutrition is going to be key where the food that you eat will be very personalized to you and it would reflect all of your own um, preferences and aspirations and goals and not what you're just buying off of the shelf. Whether that's 10 years from now, whether that's 50 years from now, I don't know. But I, I know that that's going to be key. And why I know this is that if you find, like in the last five years, a lot of challenger brands that pick specific attributes were increasingly giving a lot of the big brands a, a run for their money, where you would pick like specific attributes and market only on those exclusive attributes. And the big brands would not be able to compete because they are very mass and they can focus on those specific attributes. What, has that, what that, that has then led to is that a lot of brands now are now think, rethinking recipe formulation where they are doing a lot of social listening, ensuring that when conversations have been had, they can go back and reflect on the social listening part back on recipe formulation of actual products. And because AI is now, and that's an interesting thing, AI is now cutting circuits of what you used to call, what used to be like an 18 to 24 months new product development cycle, where you can do it, you can, you can literally do four weeks new product development cycle, you can test and infer. I increasingly see that even the big guys would shorten the runs of 
and you don't need to make one million packs. Maybe you need to do ten thousand packs and find ten thousand teams who are actually looking for that. Um, that for me is what I what I see. Personalized nutrition being like the big thing. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time today. It's been great chatting with you, Dami. Um, look forward to seeing Food Llama everywhere, but maybe not letting my wife put um, no cakes on it. <laughs> okay, thanks, awesome. Thank you. thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye.